everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, welcome to the 30th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I'm Brian Nemhauser, and we've got the Hawk Blogger crew on with you again tonight to talk about a very eventful 2018 NFL draft. Um, with us, as always, uh, we've got Nathan Ernst, the lover of the run game, um, and uh, he is going to he has actually written an entire soliloquy on the the uh, an ode to first round running backs. Um, I do actually. It's not a soliloquy, but uh, and then we've got uh, real Jeff Simmons. So that's at Nathan E eleven on Twitter, um, and then we've got real Jeff Simmons who is nursing a sore heart. Um, his Raptors. Um, Fell a point short to King James. Um, Jeff, thank you for joining despite your pain. No problem. I'll always make time for you guys. And then uh, finally, we've got Evan Hill, who uh, someone actually had the audacity to ask on Twitter w whether Evan was happy with the draft. I think Nathan's response was perfect, which was, are you really asking if Evan is happy? Welcome, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, I've got some optimistic takes for tonight. I'm, uh, trust me, I'm gonna I'm gonna counter the pessimism tonight. Cool, and and, and uh, we have a special guest tonight. I'm really excited to uh, welcome Zach Whitman, um, and hopefully I got the name right. Uh, if there's anything uh, uh, off there, but um, Zach, for people that don't know, um, is done great work for a long time. Done a lot of stuff around the draft, and one of the things he did. Um, uh, that I've gained a lot of um, insights from is he kind of backwards, uh, you know, engineered, reverse engineered spark scoring, um, which is a, you know, Zach can kind of describe it a little bit, but basically it's a, something that Nike had developed that helps to um, grade athletes. And it's something that the Seahawks were known to actually pay some decent attention to in terms of how they, uh, graded athletes in the draft, and um, you know it's become a pretty popular thing since then, and people have built on top of it. But Zach was, as far as I know, the first to it. So um, we're really lucky and fortunate to have Zach here to talk to us about some of the athletes and some of the prospects that the Seahawks got, as well as what he thought about uh, you know the rest of the draft. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hey, what's going on? I'm obviously here to counter Evan's optimism with more optimism, as is my brand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we allow all forms of uh, reaction on this show. There will be no censorship. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and, and start with our guest, Zach. Um, you know, if you can, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you thought of the draft. And, and Jeff will kind of guide us from there. Yeah, I think it's tough to judge to some extent just because it's so incomplete. They're missing a huge part of the draft capital. Uh, you know. We were so used to them in, in recent years not having a full complement of picks, but they went to this one with just the one first round pick, nothing on day two. Uh, so it's just, I think it's really hard to even have a feel because it's not really a complete class. Uh, you can't just add a bunch of fifth round picks and have it feel like, you know, taken, taken full. Um, obviously, I will fall into the part of Seahawks crew that's not super thrilled about the focus on the run game that appears to have uh, really come up. Um, love Shaq Griffin. Very excited about some stuff that happened. Um, but I think my my two takes would be one, incomplete, and two, a little disappointing to see them go backward in time and focus on the run game. 
I got to ask you, Zach, what was your impression when the name Rashad Penny came out? Well, okay. So it's funny because I feel like I, I was somewhat uh, in the matrix on this draft and then I, I felt the run game thing a little bit. And so like for the, with like my, the Michael Dixon pick, I had somehow emotionally prepared for already. <laughs> and so part of me was kind of expecting the early running back just because I didn't want it. And it just, it just felt like something that could happen. Um, when, when they had traded down, I really thought it might be a Nick Chubb thing. Uh, and so I, I thought there was a chance it was running back. I was very surprised with Rashad, Rashad Penny. And, and Rashad Penny is a running back. I really liked out of San Diego State. He's, he's a good player. He's obviously very talented. But I had liked him kind of because he wasn't Nick Chubb and was going to go a little lower in the draft, I thought, you know, foolishly. Uh, so it was it was very surprising. But I feel like the entire weekend was more just not really getting mad about the draft. My expectations were fairly, you know, uh, low just because of how few picks they had. So I allowed myself to maybe find the uh, humor in it, even though it was not a thing I would have done. One of the more impressive things I saw in the draft weekend was you somehow predicted the punter pick. Uh, Almost- I hate this. I hate this because I actually had a tweet about trading up for him that I didn't send just before because I saw it come across. <laughs> but I swear to you, for whatever, I had this moment of clarity and I just felt like Pete had to trade up for a punter. Um, and obviously, that was you know, the greatest pick in the draft. You know, we're gonna have we're gonna have words here, Zach, pretty quickly because I think uh, you know, in ten ten years, in ten years, people are gonna look back and be like, "How the hell did we get a Hall of Fame punter?" And who was who was arguing about whether we used a fifth round pick on a Hall of Fame punter? Like, why is anyone debating that? Well, I mean, it's opportunity cost, right? And it's, I. I if we were perfect at making picks, then we would be obviously be a different game already. Um, we would just know that he's the best kicker, whatever Hall of Fame talent. The problem is people took Robert Aguayo in the second round at kicker. They took Brian Anger in the third round at punter. There's just a lot of names because we are human. We're not great at actually doing evaluation. And so if you had 100% likelihood that you know Johnny Hecker was here selecting, you would take him uh, certainly in the fifth round. But because of that uncertainty, it's it's – it's problematic. Now, I, I will tell you, it's a fifth-round pick. Uh, fifth-round picks are worth very, very, very little. And so I, my actual anger is not really up here, uh, no pun intended, on Brian. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I find it really hard to get ra- really wrapped up on any fifth-round pick because they're worth so little. I mean, it's almost the same as a priority undrafted free agent, honestly, once you got to, like, the end of the fourth round. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch someone with an accent punt for us. I'm excited about that part. I mean, he seems like a character, uh, but it is funny that they traded up for a punter. And the well, there, there is there. Yeah. So, so the Seahawks will have the last lap and there's a little flaw in your perfect logic, which is, is that, um, all those other teams that did really stupid things, drafting kickers way too early. None of them are the Seahawks. The Seahawks didn't do that. So the Seahawks are going to have a perfect record. Uh, Schneider yeah. has actually done that, though, right? I mean, he talked about that in the press conference. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Wait, uh, the last time that John Schneider did this, uh, the punter that he took way too high got beat out by John Ryan. John Ryan. John Ryan. Oh. Yeah, but he's not. That wasn't with the Seahawks. That was with the Packers. You know, it was bizarre too. Two other punters went that round. Well, it was a run on punters, obviously. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, given, given 2018, apparently I, 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 I gotta say, guys, I see this one so clearly, and I'm happy to have this recorded. Uh, no one, none of us will regret the pick of Michael Dixon. And we are going to look back and we're going to be like, holy crap, that guy has been an awesome Seahawk. We love his personality. We love how he's changed the game every game for year after year after year. He is a weapon unlike any other in the NFL. Um, at that position. And as you were saying, Zach, fifth round pick, you know, if this had been a third round pick, I think that there'd be a much more (laughs) real, real, you know, realistic reason to to question it. Um, I think trading up, if they had given up more than a seventh to do it, then, then maybe that would be of of concern. But um, man, part of this for me is I think people don't realize how, how crippling John Ryan's performance has been the last few years. I mean, this is, you know, his ability to change the field has been so limited. And uh, uh, this past year, it was just hard to watch. I mean, he lost hang time, you know, almost completely in his punts. And 
Yeah. So from a salary cap perspective, from a talent perspective, from um, an ability to help the offense and defense and changing the field position, I love the pick and um, and I, I'm unabashed in it. So um, I'm glad we see it differently. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to come back and look at it. It's that. okay. We'll be punting a lot this year. So maybe it'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to shift the conversation back to the, the Seahawks draft. Zach, what was your favorite pick they made? Yeah. So um, it, it's tough because emotionally, as a Washington fan, I love Will Disley. Watching big old 9-8 run up the field is actually awesome and one of my favorite parts of last year. Uh, probably my favorite pick, just in a very classic Seahawks sense, though. Um, and, and I have to forego Shaquem Griffin here because that's, that's, that's too easy, and I think he's all of our favorites. Um, but I, I really like the Trey Flowers pick. Uh, it, when I saw the profile come across, I'm just looking him up. It's one of those profiles that I would flag as a Seahawks corner anyway, even though you know he's kind of listed as a safety. Uh, he has all the length and everything. He, he's stiff, but very similar to Byron Maxwell in overall profile. And I I would like the Seahawks to take as many of those you know lottery tickets as possible, honestly. I mean, as many guys as they can get in the system learning from Pete and the defensive staff is a positive for me. So I view any year where they don't take you know a corner in the fifth or sixth round as, as a real waste. And it was cool to see him come across because that's a very classic Seahawks thing to do. Um, they're using a pick there in a way we've seen picks succeed before. And so I have confidence that we are going to get above market return from that fifth round pick. Maybe not on this one, but if we hit on 30%, 40% of the people, of the corners we take in the fifth round, that's a huge gain. So just in the sense of I don't trust them to evaluate a lot of positions because it's tough, but I think they're very good at corners and he's a very interesting physical prospect. It's pretty exciting. Zach, on that one, I'm curious if any of your analytics tell you you know, he's a safety that they're converting to corner. And and the guys like Etrick Pruitt, uh, Mike Tyson, those haven't panned out as well. You know, Sherman was a converted receiver, but he had played corner in college. Is there anything that kind of indicates whether an athlete, you know, is ready to play the cornerback position other than, you know, long arms and things no, like that? No, I don't I, – I mean, I think to some extent you, it is a certain kind of athleticism and profile that you're plugging into a certain kind of position. And he does fit that to the extent where Byron Maxwell of being fairly uh, stiff-hipped, but having you know the length and explosion and everything. Um, but I think more than anything, we don't know anything about these late-round prospects. We do know that generally being athletic is better than not being athletic for NFL success. And so my my, I guess, point here would be that Mike Tyson not working out is not indicative of a strategy working out or not. And Mike Tyson, by the way, did not really meet the athletic measurables we're talking about here with the guys that have. Um, the idea is to pick as many fifth and sixth round picks as possible, get a much bigger pool in, and, and you know hit, hope to hit on a few of them. Uh, so no one single player really can make the evaluation or break the evaluation or the strategy. Uh, it's, it's really just using the same process again and again and again and trusting your player development ability take undervalued assets later in the draft that have weaknesses like being, you know, fairly stiff uh, with slow cone and shuttle times and hoping you can turn those into a valuable player where maybe another team may not be able to. Uh, yeah. For those joining now, we're here with Zach women who's breaking down the draft for us. The Seahawks just came back with one of the more interesting drafts in a long time. And so what do you think of the Rasheem green pick? Cause he's kind of, there's been a kind of mixed evaluations on him. He's really athletic guy, but kind of raw. Yeah, I think that um, we need to be really careful whenever we think about really young defensive linemen. I think there is a tendency when we watch tape, especially, we looked at a guy like Ade Aruna, uh, who people were really excited about, was also very athletic out of Tulane. And he, when the season starts, is going to be 24.3 years old. Um, when the season starts, Rasheem Green will be 21.3 years old. That's a difference of, you know, do the math here, three years. And I think it, it's easy to lose track of that. So, He's, he's raw. He has, you know, some rough stuff on t tape, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen the clips going around. Um, where does he fit? What position is it? And is it the same on first and second down as on third down? Um, but I, I think I would hazard that we're being potentially too critical with tape, given a young player. Uh, a guy like Daniil Hunter might be a good example there, where he was super athletic at LSU, didn't really have the production, um, but really was just too young and hadn't developed anything. Uh, so like with any third-round pick, uh, I think you want to take someone who's roughly at a position that is premium, and defensive end obviously fits there. Um, there's hopefully a fit for him on the team if he can be that interior rusher they're looking for, and that's you know right away. 
Uh, and then you want to take someone who's young and relatively athletic. So in, in all of that, I think it's a, it's a good selection. And the actual whether he's good or not, honestly, I put less stock in because we are so not good at evaluating the talent. Really, as long as they kind of have a good process and make a good decision based on reasons that I, I see logic for and data behind, I'm generally going to be supportive because I don't think I have a exhaustive enough knowledge of the tape and, and all these players to really disagree with just the plain football uh, evaluation that Schneider and everyone put in. Uh, Nathan or Evan, I don't know if you guys have any questions for Zach. I don't know if you guys want to jump in here. Well, we got to talk about Shaquem a little bit, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, so how did he, um, I know one of the things with the spark is, uh, you'll see guys that run like a really fast 40 or whatever, but when you look at the spark, um, their spark timbers, they're, they're, they don't really test that well altogether. Um, how did Shaquem test? I mean, how did, uh, comprehensively and, and maybe talk about why spark can vary sometimes if you're just looking at a single number. Right. So the, the idea being that we are really, really good at looking at a 40 time and knowing a 4-4 is fast for like a running back. Um, first of all, we're not even good. If you take it one more dimension, do you really know what a good 40 time is maybe for an offensive lineman? And maybe you do, but do you know what a good broad jump is? And so Spark is trying to normalize those things per position and per player weight uh, to have an idea, right? Because if a guy who's 350 pounds, Walter Jones runs a 4-4-7, what is the apocryphal number, 4-6 or 4-7 he ran? Uh, that's a lot different, you know, than... And KJ Wright running a 4.7, right? Uh, there is just something inherently different about those athletes. Uh, so Griffin uh, only weighed, you know, 227 pounds at the combine, but overall testing was really impressive. It wasn't just the fact that he had the fast 40, but also he had um, fairly good explosion numbers. He actually had 20 bench press reps, which is obviously super impressive, and he had that sub-7-3 cone. Uh, so he really is an all-over explosive athlete. Uh, there's, there, it, It's funny because he fits kind of the perfect prototype of linebackers that have been taken in recent years. I mean, his closest comp physically by far is Deion Jones and right in that, you know, six foot two thirty range. Uh, and really if it, if it were not for the hand, it would be a player who probably by profile goes in the second round uh, just over the last four years with Deion Jones or Bobby Wagner or whatever, you know, kind of freak athlete you want to take there. But you know, obviously, it's a tough evaluation. I'm not sure anyone knows exactly how much. It's an untested case, right? Uh, but I, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, overall, it's awesome to take that chance because, as I've said, you know, and I'll keep saying, fifth round picks, we know nothing about. It's that the success rate is barely different than a priority free agent. If you look at players who get signing bonuses as undrafted free agents, there's almost no difference between them and fifth through seventh round picks. So I am fully on board for as many upside risky picks or whatever, because those picks really are very little more than just free agency. Yeah, Zach, I got one question for you. What undrafted free agent are you most excited for? Um, I mean, my boy, Casey Williams, is that? <laughs> yeah, I saw him cut by the Chiefs the other day. Yeah, I mean, obviously I am a huge fan um, of that. You know, I, I would say I was actually kind of surprised to some extent that they didn't end up taking a chance on, um, uh, what's the, sorry, the JT Barrett. Found that to be a little bit surprising. Um, but, I mean, I, <laughs> I will ultimately get over that. Uh, I, in general, taking, I, how do you pronounce it? Is it Mako or whatever? Magoo. 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 Sorry. Uh, it was it was very interesting to me that they went with John Franklin the third <laughs> in the undrafted free agency class, um, but I don't know if you guys have watched uh, Last Chance U, but it was pretty exciting in that. And so I'm mainly excited for the possibilities of being on Hard Knocks with him. Although I believe the Cleveland Browns have taken that now. And I, also, we did take a long snapper, which is incredibly exciting because I'm not sure if you guys realize, but um, the long snapper last season was somewhat of a hole, um, second only to punter, obviously on the roster. Wait, so what is John Franklin's story? Uh, I just pulled him up. He went to FSU, East Mississippi Community College, Auburn, and then Florida Atlantic? Yeah, so he was he was one of those classic cases, I believe, where he went to FSU. I'm, I'm trying to – it was it was when Jameis was there. I yeah. can't remember if there was something illegal or not, but it was a Cam Newton situation where he quickly transferred out, went to the Star Community College. And he was one of those guys who was a big four- or five-star recruit, you know, back five years ago, whatever it was. Um, he went to Auburn and then got beaten out by a pretty bad quarterback at Auburn. This is before Stidham. This is last season. Uh, and then he transferred to Florida Atlantic and was you know, really good there, uh, down a class. But basically, he could never really find a way to stick at the big programs he was at. Um, he did win the national title, I believe, when he was at East Mississippi. 
community college. That's my on last chance here. And uh, somehow, uh, despite going to like four schools, he's younger than Ade Aruna. Well, Ade Aruna is older than all of us. So. <laughs> I mean, not all of us. <laughs> uh, Zach, I know you only got a couple more minutes. I was curious, uh, on the flip side um, of Spark is, I think, Jamarco Jones, right? So Seahawks drafted an offensive tackle from Ohio State who many thought would go in early rounds and then had a really rough combine. So, so tell us what your thoughts are on, on him and, and what the projections would be for someone that has his athletic profile. Yeah. So uh, athletic testing, I think is, is interesting because in the last few years, people have been more aware of it. And the idea really is that if you just took everyone independent of testing and put them in a mock draft, you say maybe Jamarco Jones is a second or third round talent or whatever that may be. Uh, when you have testing that's as bad as he had, and I believe he was in the first or second percentile of NFL tackles, um, you really want to be paying a discount for that. And so in the fifth round, I typically don't like to see you know super bad athletes at it, but I felt it was probably an appropriate penalty they paid. You wouldn't want to take a player like that in the second or third round just because of precedent, because the, the odds are very low. We've seen so few athletes of that caliber succeed. But if it is, you know, a special case, you think he has really good talent, you think the testing was off for whatever reason, and it's worth noting that there is a chance that he actually is a better athlete than he showed it as uh, he showed at the Combine. Certainly, it's not the only time that's happened. Um, he, he could be something. I'll tell you, I, I mean, I've looked at it. Over the last 20 draft classes, there have been, you know, many players in the first percentile, second percentile, like he is. I believe there are three successful offensive linemen roughly from that class. So it's a very small group, um, but if you believe you know he is Zach Streif, then that's great because that is the, the one case. Uh, and ultimately, hit rates in the fifth round are so low that again, it, it's very hard for me to get bent out of shape out of any given pick. Uh, and if they think he is you know the kind of player who can be serviceable uh, for a, the length of a rookie contract, that's obviously extremely exciting considering how much they've spent on everything else along the line. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I know, I'm guessing you weren't too thrilled about the penny pick. So was there a specific player or maybe a position you were hoping they would address that that pick at 27 on? Yeah, so at 27, um, the, I mean, I, I certainly am a fan of addressing uh, the passing game um, early just because those positions cost so much in free agency. And so you're, you're making value there, right? If you're taking a receiver sure. or, or, a, or an edge rusher, they cost so much less than the rookie deals. And so there's just an inherent value you're buying in. Uh, even if, say, there's two evaluators, you know, they're both the exact same level. If one always took a uh, passing game and one always took running game, the passing game would uh, evaluator would be gaining an advantage every single pick because they'd be paying less in cap relative to the average position. So that's where I tend to go. Um, I was a fan of DJ Moore, probably one of my top players in the draft. He went at 24. It was very hard to see that trade down go beyond him. Um, once he was gone, I was a fan of Harold Lander, the pass rusher who went uh, in the first part of the second round. Uh, and then there was a, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the corner that I was that I was looking at, but um, the Iowa corner at Johnson, I believe. Is that oh. the... Josh Jackson? Yeah. And then there, were, there was one more name that I was talking with Steelcopedia about that I'm, that I'm currently blanking on. But really, it was the pass rushing class and then DJ Moore. And once Moore was gone, I was fairly open even just to trading down again because it felt like there wasn't actually a huge, I guess, talent uh, cliff at 27, whereas around the early 20s, maybe, it felt like the kind of player started to deteriorate after DJ Moore was gone. Zach, I think we, uh, we're supposed to have you for 20 minutes, and it's been 23. Um, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to come on, and um, you know, you made Nathan smile like a Cheshire cat. I don't know if you could see that, but, but when you, you started talking about the value of taking passing early, you were speaking his language. It's nice having somebody else on here that makes some sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep, thanks. thanks for having me on. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> we'll have you on again, I hope. Take care. Yep, bye. That one burned. Evan, I don't think you ever really feel pain, right? Like, it, it just rolls off your back. I feel pain, but I bounce back within seconds. Yeah. You internalize it and turn pain into joy. <laughs> Into fuel, into you know, motivation. That's what yeah. It. How long did it take you to rationalize the pick of the running back? So 
I was actually totally down with a running back in the late first. I was, I was, uh, I can never pronounce his name. Geis. Geis. I called him Gucci. Just Geis is nice. Um, I wanted Gucci, but obviously Gucci ended up dropping like two or three more rounds. So, you know, I, I, I had I had like my NFL draft scout cheat out for both offense and defense, and they went, when they called Rashad Penny, I couldn't find him at the top of my scouting sheet, and I was like, oh god, you know he obviously has a lower grade. <clears throat> but it took me like I think like fifteen to twenty minutes to talk myself into the pick. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Has Schneider ever taken anyone you've actually wanted? Any of you guys with one of those high picks? Earl no, Thomas, Russell O'Kong. Uh, Earl. See, Earl, I didn't see in the range. I thought he'd be long gone. Yeah. I have a much better hit rate of him taking the exact guy I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> the year they took a Fetty, I had a Twitter question. I was like, who do you want them to not take? And my only guy that I didn't like out of that class was Jermaine Fetty. And Sure enough. I I was right there with you. That's yeah. funny. Like, uh, yeah, I, I could I, I thought a Fetty looked like trash and and uh he also looked like a Tom Cable lineman. So go figure. That was hmm, I don't know if I want how 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 hot I want this take to be because the <laughs> the Shaquem thing was really, really, really cool. But boy, the first couple Raiders picks <laughs> were maybe the high point of the draft. When they took Colton Miller, who is, if you haven't watched him, go watch him. He's very bad. He is, uh, he has no ability to anchor. He has no functional strengths. Yes, he tested very well. You can see that athleticism on the tape as guys are running past him and blowing through him. And he is terrible. And they took him because Tom Cable still only cares about Spark, which is kind of amazing. He must be like some sort of mind reader. How does he get all this control of these organizations' drafts? I don't understand it's, it. It's unbelievable. I don't know. Does he have dirt on these guys? I don't know. <laughs> all right, Nathan, I got to ask you though, because when, when they took when they took Penny, I, all I could think about was you and Ben. I, I, if we had a live show that night, that would have been fantastic. But like, what were you thinking when they announced that? The the. I, I kind of love Penny a little bit more for this reason. Um, his name was such a shock uh, just because like nobody was one person talked about him in the first round. It's Lance, uh, Lance zero line. Um, he said that that teams liked him more than, than, uh, than fans did and that he had a chance to go that high. But, but, you know, Sonny, Sonny Michelle, uh, Darius Geis, Nick Chubb, um, all those names, you know, was kind of what I was bracing for. And then it was a running back, but it was Rashad Penny. And that just shocked the hell out of me uh, that I couldn't even be mad for a little bit. So, uh, but that wore off. Um, it's just not a good value pick. Uh, the, it's nice that they took him down. You know, we talked about this before the draft, um, talking about trading down. And I thought they trade all the way out of the second round and, and what I said then was, if you at least trade down that far, it takes the sting out of drafting a running back. And, you know, he'll be something like the 25th highest paid running back or something like that, which is a lot better than Saquon Barkley, who has uh, more guaranteed money than any other running back in the league, um, stuff like that. So it it took the sting out of it a little bit. It was a shock that they took him. Uh, but, yeah, I don't I don't love the pick at all. I love Even it. Though- I love that Nathan takes time to get angry and Evan takes time to get happy. That's no, it. no, I've talked myself into this one a little bit. With oh, okay, all right. Taken, I, I was ready to be a lot angrier about a running back, but between the shock of who the running back was and then kind of like looking into the, what is the actual contract detail and like just how bad is that? Like, uh, and then getting to watch Penny some, he is fun. He is going to be a good player. So some not, what's that? He has some speed. He has crazy burst in and out of cuts. Like, yeah. he makes these little changes of direction, doesn't lose an ounce of speed, gets faster through it, and leaves guys in the dust. It's it's pretty cool. Deceptively fast and actually seems to be like a fairly good pass catching back. So I'm curious to see what you know role he plays in the passing game. And obviously I know the anti-run guys would be 
obviously much happier if he contributed in the passing game. For sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, um, Ben and uh, who is a loyal listener. And hello, Ben. Um, hope you're doing well wherever you're listening. And uh, Nathan and I agree on, on this point, at least. I, I'm certainly not a, a fan of spending a first-round pick on a running back in general. Um, you know, I, I put out some numbers about production from, you know, first-round running backs over the since 2000 and broke it up by first third, middle third, last third of the first round. And, you know small sample size in general, but, but like <laughs> there was a very clear pattern of production that fell off, um, you know, linearly um, pretty much uh, as you got later in the, in the first round and the chances of you finding someone late in the first round, who's going to be appreciably better than, you know, guys that you would find uh, in later rounds, just, it's it's tough it's a tough gig to to do that so um that said i you know I, i'm happy that they got the guy they wanted i mean they clearly they had the choice of anyone but saquon barkley and this is who they wanted they believe this is the guy um the thing that jumps out for me watching him you know you guys talked about the burst and the the cuts <laughs> The, the, the phrase ankle flexion uh, like came into my head because I don't know if you've watched, like watch his ankles and the angles that his ankles, say that a few times, um, uh, achieve. Like the, I don't think I've seen running backs like that as much. Um, you know, he, he really has an ability to lean um, and cut at, at pretty, you know, pretty harsh angles, um, you know, for, for, for his lower body. And, uh, I think that's a strength of his, um, a unique strength of his. And, uh, it seems like he also has a pretty unique, uh, or at least uh, acute weakness in the ability to do pass protection. Saw some pretty nasty, um, attempts at blocking there. And, um, that can be something you learn, but one of the things I'm interested in what you guys think is, I still think they're high on Chris Carson and Chris Carson was a guy that tested through the roof as an athlete came in and was a complete back was a great blocker um, ran between the tackles outside, like had everything. He's coming back from a serious injury, but let's for a second, assume that he's fully healed. Um, how do you think they use these two? Um, you know, is it, is it just straight that Penny's a first round pick and you spent this on him? So he's going to get all the, the carries or, how do you see that working? If Chris Carson is good. I have no problem with this being like a an Atlanta situation where Devontae Freeman and Dev or what's his name? Devin Coleman, I think, um, bounce back like off of each other. I think having a dynamic duo like that is super powerful. And you know, you can rest guys while one is out. I think it's um I think it's I think that's a really good problem to have, having two good running backs. And um you know, I, I, I don't I don't think they should just hand the job to Rashad Petty, obviously. Um, what kind of role do you think that they're going to play, Jeff? I mean, how do you think do you think it'll be role based? I I don't I definitely agree with Evan. But I don't think they're going to hand the job to Penny. I don't think anything that's gone back in Pete's history says that. But I think they're yeah, I think the Atlanta situation or maybe how New Orleans used backs last year might be the model. Maybe it's the hot hand, but. I think just Penny does a lot more things well than Carson does. Carson's a really solid back, but I think Penny just has that upside and that explosion that we didn't really see from anyone on Seattle last year. But the question I still have, can these guys run block for him? And that's where I'm struggling. How about you, Nathan? How do you, how do you see this playing out in terms of how they split reps in the backfield? If we're just assuming that they're both healthy, um, and I don't think we should just assume anything on Carson, um, just he's coming off an injury that was similar to Rawls, and Rawls took a long time. I mean, really never got right, got right again, right? Um, but if they're both healthy, I think Carson's going to be tough to beat out. Um, Penny's pass blocking is horrific, um, and I think he can. I think there's a lot of easy gains there for him because he'll literally just kind of stand flat-footed um, in front of guys, and that's not how you block. Uh, so there's some really basic stuff that he can learn that will make him better. Um, but Carson was a good blocker, and Carson was a good pass catcher, and 
that is a huge advantage um, in terms of deciding who's going to go out there and get on the field. So if they're both right, uh, I think Carson could really dominate um, dominate the snaps. And then uh, it'll be interesting to see if Penny does get kind of relegated um, to a smaller role. Does he have trouble uh, competing with McKissick, who um, can – he's got a more specialized role, right? Like uh, nobody's going to pretend that McKissick is what Penny is. Um, and pedigree alone probably puts Penny uh, puts Penny ahead of him. But McKissick has a specialized role that he was pretty good at last year. Uh, and so if you start talking about like Carson being taking the line share stuff, and then you got to figure out what's after that, um, even McKissick could uh, outsnap him for at least a little while. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's – the reason I'm interested in this is <sighs> – you know, you could say Penny's going to come in and be the feature back and he's going to earn that. And maybe he will. And first and second down, that, that could work out. Um, third down backs tend to need to really be decent pass blockers. Um, so, uh, you know, Chris Carson is maybe the second best back, you know, on the roster in terms of total talent. But he's not a prototypical third down back. You know, he's not a change of pace kind of player. And that's typically what you're looking for. J.D. McKissick is more someone there or a C.J. Procise if he ever sees the field. Um, so it almost makes more sense that Carson is the first and second down back in some ways. And, you know, Penny would be a third down back to start with. But if he can't pass block, then he's not really an option as a third down back. So. I guess there's going to be an interesting battle there because if Carson wins the starting spot, I'm not sure that there's going to be snaps for Penny um, for a little while. You know, you, you cannot put a third down back out there that can't pass block. So um, I guess they'll cross our fingers that he wins the starting role. And if he does, then there could be some question about whether Carson, I mean, Carson could just end up being the alternate, I mean, they could basically just be alternating series or something or, or in first and second down. Um, and really third down, it's going to be a J.D. McKissick, C.J. Procise kind of situation. And, you know, is one way that this could go. Um, and we haven't even talked about Mike Davis, who who, who played well last year. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that backfield plays out. I think most likely is that C.J. Procise is not going to make the team. You know, I think if he misses a single practice – um, I'm not even talking about games. I think if he misses a practice, I think that guy's got really, I, I think he burned a lot of bridges last year with the coaching staff and the personnel department. So he's got a huge uphill climb. He's got the talent to make it, but um, he's got to, he's got to prove from day one that he's going to be available. Everything you just said is what I'm struggling with about the pick because Penny on film and the more you dig into him, I, I liked him as a player before the draft, but it just seems like a poor use of resources. There were so many needs on both sides of the ball, and look how stacked that running back group is now, which is a good thing. They're probably the most interesting group on the team going into training camp. That's a great thing, but man, you got Will Hernandez on the board. Left guard might be their biggest hole on the roster. We were talking about Hernandez, the guy they should jump and take at 18. The Giants turned in their card in like 13 seconds to pick that guy, and Gettleman knows offensive lineman he's not the best at valuing positions obviously we saw with Barkley but yeah I, I really do like Penny as a player but it's just hard for me to wrap around why maybe why don't they spend that pick on defense or why don't they move down or were they really that concerned they were going to lose Penny and imagine if they took Penny at 18 I don't know if John's just blowing air to try to pump up the pick but man imagine that let's pop the bubble there so there I mean there is a absolute PR plan that John and Pete roll out every year. And that goes something like this. Oh, we traded back, but this was the guy that we wanted at the position we were at before. We would have taken him then. We were thrilled that he was still available when we picked. That's that's volley number one. Volley number two is, oh, and by the way, we got we got calls from teams that were so disappointed that we picked him because they were going to take him next. And every once in a while, there's, you know, the the third, which is you know, yeah, and there's a team that wanted to know if we would be willing to trade, you know, trade the guy afterwards. We're really happy we got him. So I've heard that story time and again. I've heard that Kevin Pierre-Lewis is, you know, profiles like Navarro Bowman, you know. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I honestly, like, I, I believe a lot of what they say. I don't believe any of that because it's just been too often that they've said that and it's clearly just – get people off their backs. 
Chris Durham was a guy that multiple teams called them to congratulate them on the pick. Oh, we were going to take him right after that. You guys sna- uh, snatched him from us. Uh, and maybe if one of the calls was from the Lions, maybe it's true. He played there for a couple of years. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're being a little, uh, you know, we're focusing on the negative here. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that was exciting. What was the thing that, that you know, Nathan, what was the thing that you were most excited about with this draft? Um, and maybe, you know, a couple of things that, that you walked away with really feeling excited about what the Seahawks did. Uh, I was really excited about the Raiders, what they did, what that might mean for Seattle. Uh, I mean, Shaquem, uh, Shaquem was the big thing. Um, I like I like Jamarco Jones. He played well. Uh, he, he looks the part on film. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if we're going to get to grades at some point. I was not thrilled with this draft though all in all um so not a lot of really high points for me this was one of the um even in the year like when they took a fetty and that was one guy i didn't want them to take i think i came away from that draft just kind of feeling better and happier about everything so not a lot of high points for me i'm surprised that trey flowers didn't pop for you he seemed like a kind of guy that that you'd be excited about so this is the thing for me with this draft is like all these guys are kind of impossible to evaluate. Um, <clears throat> you have Penny. Um, he's from a small school. That makes it a little bit more difficult. He's a running back. So what can you really add to the team? Um, you have Rasheen Green, who, uh, you know, everything Zach said is right. Um, he's athletic. He's a force player, uh, which is um, like Spark, but targeted at uh, pass rushers. Um, so uh, he's young. It's a, it's a good sign for him, but his tape is unimpressive. Uh, it, um, I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, I haven't been able to like find highlights of this guy. And it's because they don't really exist for him. Like he doesn't have that many splash plays. Um, so he's just a, 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 a lump of uh, clay, um, super exciting clay. Uh, but it's all going to come down to what he puts into it and what the coaches can get out of him and all that stuff. Um, then you have Will Disley, who is a very good blocking tight end. Um, you know, again, John, uh, Schneider was talking about, oh, he's got these great hands and all that. Well, you know, that wasn't something that UW decided to do with him, um, you know, having to catch a bunch of balls. So, yeah, maybe, uh, but who knows, right? Uh, what can he really be as a pass catcher? And then you have Trey Flowers, who uh, played safety, like a ton of safety. He didn't look real good at safety. Um, he fits the profile of a cornerback. It'll be exciting to see what he, be- he becomes, but like, I can't really tell you anything about Trey Flowers, and I think anyone who does is, is kind of, outside of he fits the prototype, they're kind of lying to you. Um, Shaquem Griffin, super exciting. He doesn't have, he only has one hand. Like, how is that going to play? Even um, Pete and John were like, we don't know. Um, you know, but they took the shot, and I'm glad they did. Um, Magoo, I've like watched a couple highlights of this guy, right? Some of these guys are just hard to find tape on. So as a fan, it's one that's really hard to like <clears throat> just totally get excited about and like buy into and believe in. Um, it's a lot of wait and see and what can the coaches do and all that kind of stuff. Well, we have to transition from from that, you know, uh, glowing review to to Evan to tell us of all the picks, which we know you loved every single one, Evan, what, what were the ones that stood out to you and why? So we're going to exclude Shaquem Griffin right off the bat just because I'm completely emotionally invested in him as a player and all my thoughts are irrational with him. But not to steal Nathan's thunder, um, I'm super excited about the uh, the Jones pick, uh, left tackle, I uh, out of Ohio State. I uh, I feel like, you know, obviously he tested really poorly at the combine, but um, – you know, I follow a ton of guys who were watching tape on this guy pre-draft, pre-combine, and they were like, this guy's pretty good. You know, round two grade, um, a very balanced player. You know, he um, was a second team all Big Ten honors in 2016, six foot four, 300 pounds. Um, the dude seems good. You know, what I, you know what excites me about this pick? Is it's the exact opposite of a Tom Cable pick. Not a strong athlete and seems to be good on tape. That is the exact reverse of what Tom Cable would look for, you know, in terms of scouting offensive linemen. So I think I, I know, I know, Brian, you're super against the Tom Cable was only the only problem, you know, in, in that position group uh, concept. But I, I truly believe Tom Cable was a huge issue when it came to the draft and, and, and the players he scouted for. And, uh, you know, it might turn out to be true that he, he, he was the problem. So 
we'll find out. This guy, this guy could be the left tackle of the future. Obviously, it's a, a fifth round pick. So you know, if 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 he ends up being nothing and just being serviceable, good return for a fifth round pick. But um, who knows? He could he could play a couple of years behind Dwayne Brown and take over the starting left tackle job. So you know, he's got some he's got some uh, a good starter to learn behind. You know, one or two years sitting behind Dwayne Brown would be really really cool. Um, I'm curious to see how, you know, Pete and John mentioned George Vance, which potentially switching over to right tackle, and potentially pushing Ifedi um, for his starting spot. That is super interesting to me. Um, the Will Disley pick, I really, really like. I, I got to give Nathan credit on this. Um, Nathan, you had a phenomenal tweet the other day that I think really um, composed everything neatly together where you were like, obviously passing is more efficient and, you know, more effective on average or whatever. Um, but the reality is the Seahawks are not going to transition to like a progressive offense like that. You know, they are obviously all in on the run game. And if they're going to be all in on, you know, the inefficient way of, you know, running an offense, let's at least hope that they're good at it, at least, at least more efficient than, you know, inefficient. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually really happy to see them commit to it. Obviously, you know, I'd love to see them running a progressive offense, you know, pass first, pass heavy, but it's just not going to happen with this era. And, um, you know, if they're going to go all in, let's see them fully commit and let, let's live and die by the sword. So let's live and die by the run game. So um, really excited about the Will Disley picks even tomorrow. Jones picks. How about you, Jeff? Um, I found myself very just excited by day three of the draft. Uh, the first two days to me were very underwhelming. I don't know if it was Penny or they only came out with two picks or I just wasn't blown away. Day three felt more like the return of John Schneider and returning to their form. It felt a lot like the 2011 draft where the, the first two picks were kind of bust and they really hit a lot in day three. I think there was a lot of stuff I liked. You mentioned Disley, Shaq Griffin. That was the most excited I've probably gone for any pick maybe ever by Seattle. It's just such a cool story. And once I saw pop up on Twitter, I like fully fist pumped and, he and he's a good football player. It's just gonna be so fun to watch the guy, and it just got me pumped up. I haven't got that pumped up for a Seahawks pick, and maybe since Earl. And I, I like the punter thing. I I know it's, no. it's easy to laugh yeah. at it. I know it's easy to laugh at it. But did any of you guys watch that Texas bowl game? I watched the highlights. My my brother bet a lot of money on Missouri, so we were watching the game together, and he was furious the whole game because the punter kept pinning them deep and. I actually tweeted to Mina an SB Nation article. They had gifts from that game. And his punts were crazy. And if the Seahawks are going to be this weird running team this year where they're kind of they don't have the talent they've had, to have a punter that can really flip field position and get that pass rush going, I think that does help them. I know it's not the best use of resources. I know it's probably dumb to trade up for a punter, but this is a rare guy. I saw someone call him maybe the best punting prospect ever. You know what? I'm going to take it back. Michael Dixon was my favorite pick. There you go, Nathan. Because it got everybody to come out and say, well, you know, if you're going to run, you better be able to punt. (laughs) I love you. I love the spike. I'm okay with you trying to set a trap there. We have you on tape saying he's your favorite pick. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, Jeff. You know, I... Similarly, like I already said, I wasn't huge huge fan of taking a running back in the first round. That has nothing to do with whether I think Rashad Penny will be good. I hope he's good. Um, just more he use, better of, be good. use of a first round pick. Rasheem Green, it's a it is nothing to do with tape. It has everything to do with personality and and you know, uh, I, I admit the you know whether it's it's accurate or not. But defensive linemen that that are passive and quiet um, don't excite me as guys that are going to like be home wreckers on, uh, you know, game wreckers on, on Sunday. So, um, you know, I'm a little curious to see whether he can turn it on. And I do have that question kind of overall for the Seahawks in this draft. There's definitely a, a focus on getting guys that were quote humble and, you know, willing to do whatever the, you know, the coaches asked them to do. And, I don't know, but I, my, my instinct, my read was that part of what made the Seahawks the team that they were was how intimidating and alpha male-ish and um, swaggy they were. And um, 
It doesn't mean you have to be that way. We've got people like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright and Doug Baldwin and on down the line, TJ, you know, um, I was going to say Tyler Lockett. Um, these are all humble people that, that are not brash that way. And they're, um, Doug's certainly had his moments, but in general is not brash. Um, Doug uh, pooped a football at the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, the reason he's... so here's my thing with Doug. I'll, I'll take a quick detour. Is that's not him. That is him trying to emulate, you know, Richard Sherman. I, it is him being someone else. Like I, I think that 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 is inauthentic, Doug Baldwin. Um, and when he's finally like found his self, like when he's. <laughs> He's let that be the person he is, the more intellectual person and the quiet, you know, more soft spoken. Um, you know, he's intense, but I always thought that stuff was not him. But but maybe I'm wrong. That's just my read of it. Um, anyway, point being, it's not it's been proven you can you can win with with humble guys. But I do have some kind of some question about that. But once they got to the third day, I mean, I didn't love the Disley pick, you know, but I was happy they got him. I definitely wanted them to exit the draft with him. If they had to spend a fourth round pick, okay, I guess that's where it went. I would have been more excited if he was a sixth round pick. But, um, you know, I, I, I certainly have been a, a pro promoter of blocking tight end. And since you guys didn't talk as much about Shaquem, you know, I'm going to talk about something that has nothing to do with the football field. Like, um, you guys know that that you know my youngest son uh, Nate has autism, and um, you know part of what we do with the site is we donate all our proceeds to uh, to Ben's fund, and um, you know I, I got to talk to my wife about she works in the disability you know uh, advocacy field and and works with parents that have kids with disabilities, and you know she doesn't care about the Seahawks at all, other than she likes me to be happy and. She was so excited that, you know, they had a, a person with a disability on the team, like what that meant. And I'm going to show you really quick something that happened today that like nearly brought me to tears at work. Um, let's see if I can share this and have it work. Um, so. Hold on. Are you guys seeing this? Yep. Yep. So. Nate's in uh, a special ed class, and today they they go over some of the things happening in sports or just in the world in general with news. And this is what they shared in class today: that the Seahawks pick Shaquem Griffin, and um, they went through and explained his disability to these kids with special needs. Um, you know, talk about how hard he works and he makes his dreams come true. And my son Nate um uh wanted to talk he they basically give a, a kid decides who's gonna step up and kind of tell this class more about the story and nate was really excited he he loves the seahawks and this is what's called kind of a social story and they use these these uh icons to kind of help the kids tell the story and he was telling the kids about how this seahawk player doesn't have a hand and i just want to make it real for people like we talk about football football doesn't matter at all like we love it. We have, we enjoy the competition. We enjoy what's going on. Um, we enjoy the community that comes with it across all these boundaries. But picking Shaquem Griffin is this story transcends football. It transcends, certainly transcends the Seahawks, it transcends Seattle. Um, you know, I won't, I don't know if there'll ever be a player that I'll cheer for to succeed more than Shaquem Griffin. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's hard for people to understand how how big of a deal this is. Um, you know, people in the disability community and people that have disabilities, you know, they're way down the list in terms of you know marginalized groups that that um, uh, get talked about and and assisted and and get their time. So having heroes like this, I think, are just so. It's so rare. Um, it really is meaningful. And so um, I, I was super excited about that. Um, I'm excited about as a football player. I'm excited about being able to talk about him, not because of a disability, but because of what he's going to do on the football field. And, you know, I hope like hell that he ends up in the back in the secondary um, as a safety eventually next to, you know, his, his brother, his twin. Um, yeah, I just think that's 
we're so fortunate to be able to watch that unfold and to be able to cheer for him for the next however many years he plays. Um, may never see another thing like it. So um, I was just super moved and super excited. I know a lot of people were. I heard, a, you know, Hugh Millen today on on sports radio. He was going off about it. I mean, it was last night. I can't remember, but he was moved. I mean, it's just it's a great story. And it's, it's not just. PR. It's a really, really, truly great story. Um, so that was a pretty big deal. And the punter too. Brian, I think you made a good point in your, uh, in your article you wrote about how maybe the image of the Seahawks is going to change now. Maybe they're going to become the kind of the fan favorites from an era where teams hated the Seahawks. Other, <laughs> I know fans of other teams. They hate Richard Sherman and they hate Pete Carroll and I could see the way it was universally just cheered for. And when that video came out of the call that Schneider made to Griffin, that was so cool. Like that, that really moved me. I don't know about you guys, but I've watched it so many times already. I didn't expect to cry during the NFL draft, but <laughs> I did. Yeah, definitely powerful. There's a, a, a video of uh, Shaquem reacting to uh, a video that Quill made to him. Um, just basically saying, you know, I think you made it before the draft because, like, you know, whatever happens, I'm proud of you, I love you, and all this stuff. And then they, uh, they had, so they had Shakim watch it. Uh, and Shakim gets real emotional about it, but then he talks about, uh, his, his more in depth about his journey. Like, um, <clears throat> I know at least for me, like, he just kind of shows up on the scene, uh, last year and he's really good and he's got one hand and it's this cool story. Um, but he kind of gets into it more about, um, it just—it sounds like it was a, a rougher time at UCF for him than it, um, than maybe people talk about, uh, and that you know um, he faced a lot of the stuff that you would expect a guy who's trying to play a high level of football with one hand face, um, and he gets pretty emotional. The whole thing's really cool. Um, you know, it's you know two twins that are obviously just like super close, um, and, and that's really cool to see that kind of sibling bond. Um, but then to hear him talk a little bit more in depth about. Um, some of what he's had to fight through and get, and get through, um, you know, he's talking about how they sent him home. Um, they sent him away from the team because they thought that maybe his brother would be better without him around. Uh, stuff like that, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a, <clears throat> it's a cool story. Um, I mean, not cool, but it's, it's an inspiring story. Um, but also getting back to, like, you know, how people with uh, disabilities can be treated and stuff. Um, you know, Shaquem is this guy who gets drafted with one hand. Uh, he's a super cool story. He's up there on NFL Network. It seems like everything's great for him, but he has faced a lot of hardship. Um, and uh, uh, it just looks so silly now, looking back on it. Like you sent a guy home because he, you thought you could get more out of the brother that had both his hands, and this guy ends up showing up in his last year and helps you guys to an undefeated season. So, uh, yeah, we've kind of blown past the Shaquem thing because it's so obviously so cool, um, but it is like so 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 cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm with you, Brian. I don't think there's anyone I'm going to root for more than Shaquille Griffin. Yeah, that's awesome. I, another thing that I've seen on Twitter that's really cool, um, Jared Brandt, I saw a couple of people that are, are Hawk Blogger followers uh, talking about um, their brothers are, you know, they're going to get the, the brothers' jerseys. You know, each one's going to have one. And, I mean, there's so many angles to this that's freaking awesome. Um, it, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. Whether or not this draft ends up turning out to be what we, <laughs> what we want it to be. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you guys before we kind of sign off is is Earl Thomas. Um, there's some folks that were asking about that. Um, did you find yourself hoping that they were going to make the deal and get – you know, a draft pick or were you hoping that, you know, were you just relieved when it turns out that he was still around? Why don't we start with you, Jeff? On day one, when there were rumors that maybe they could have got those Cleveland picks, those two picks at the top, I was open to the idea. Once it got to the point of day two where you're looking at pick 50 from Dallas, I was, I was pretty against it at that point. I know they didn't have a second round pick, but I think even one season of Earl, I, I pick 50 in this draft to me is not worth it. I'd rather go with Earl, see what he has. I'm still on them. I still like to see them try to re-sign him. I don't know if that's going to happen, but when they didn't trade him, I, I came out of that draft as 
that was probably my favorite part of the first two days of the draft because as I said earlier, I wasn't thrilled about it. And to have Earl back for another year and he's going to be motivated as hell, I'm pretty pumped that they kept him. What about you, Evan? Yeah, once the Cowboys picked at, um, I think, 19 or something something in the teens. Um, yeah, it was 19. Yeah, once they picked at 19, I kind of figured it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, and I really wasn't interested in it if it was just a second or just a third round pick. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet um, that the Cowboys called and offered uh, John you know, a third round pick and they, they didn't hear back from John. And, and I assume John just didn't call them back. And I, it, that's so mind blowingly disrespectful, a third round pick for a hall of fame safety who's still in his twenties, you know, maybe so what his late twenties, but that's just a joke. Are you kidding me? Not going to happen. So um, I'm glad they kept him. And honestly, I hope they sign him to an extension. I'd love to see a shorter deal. I don't think a four-year deal would be as cool. Maybe like a two or a three-year deal um, for him to end like his, you know, productive years in Seattle would be would be really awesome to see. Can anybody else not imagine at all Jerry Jones and John Schneider trying to like discuss a trade? What does that even sound like? Look like? Do they just kind of shoot the breeze for a little bit? What are Jerry Jones and John Schneider talking about? How does that conversation go? It's got to, it, uh, I don't know, it seems bizarre to me. <laughs> uh, I think, though, I actually, I mean, I want Earl to retire as a Seahawk. Um, and if they end up signing him, um, that'll be awesome, um, you know, extending him. Uh, I'm really nervous that they won't. Um, I think everything about this has been a little off. Um, it hasn't been as uh, open um, of a discussion like they had about Sherm and how they were very much like, yeah, uh, we're trying to see who we can trade him to. Um, but there's, it's been a little bit more open on Earl's side, but there's just weird stuff. Um, uh, they, neither of them seem super happy. Uh, there was a thing where Pete Carroll rattled off the core of their defense and he didn't mention Earl. Um, but then he turns around and he gets like pissy with reporters when they're asking about Earl. And he's like, I don't know why you're asking me about this. Uh, it was really funny in the, one of the, I think after the second round, second and third round, um, somebody asked him, you know, Hey, what about Earl? And he's like, I don't know why you keep asking me about Earl. And then the, there was a follow-up question. Well, are you guys listening to offers? And John's like, yeah, we're talking, listening to offers for Earl. And it's like, that's why they're, <laughs> I mean, I don't really care about how, teams handle the press you know uh i think a lot of that stuff is silly but uh for pete to get kind of like i don't know prickly about like why are you asking about earl and then your gm to turn around and like oh yeah we're talking about trading earl the whole thing is just odd and so <clears throat> i'm really nervous that we're going to end up in the situation like we did kind of with sherm and and the sherm thing with the worst case scenario you know he blows out of the Achilles, he's got no trade value you just have to cut him um but are we going to get to the point where, you know, he just walks away and then you're hoping for a comp pick that's, you know, not this coming draft, but the draft after that. And then you have to hope that you um, don't have to like change your free agency spending too much to make sure you actually get that third round comp pick. Because as we saw with Jimmy and Sheldon, you know, those comp picks aren't guarantees. Um, so I, I, I'm glad that he's on the team. I hope they resign him. I hope he resign, he, he retires as a Seahawk, but um, I'm really nervous that they're going to end up letting him walk and get, you know, um, everybody's talking about that, you know, the 50th pick is pennies on the dollar, but you know, if you start looking at just a certain round comp pick, um, you know, that's obviously even worse. So, uh, it, it seems like a bad situation to me. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I was, I had gotten to the point of ambivalence with it, like make the trade fine. As long as it's, you know, second round pick was the, the lowest I would have been comfortable with walking away with. Um, even then it wouldn't have felt good um keeping him fine you know i'm always happy to have a hall of fame safety um still playing hall of fame level football so you know i'd love to believe that 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 they can sign him to an extension and that they won't regret signing to an extension that's what i'd love you know cards on the table i would have just as much trepidation as the seahawks seem to about that prospect third contracts have not treated them particularly well. Um, and I think that if they're, 
if they're looking at looking at what they've learned, then they might be thinking, you know what, um, we're not going to really do third contracts, you know, other than for quarterbacks um, and for amazing Hall of Fame punters. You know, those are the, the only two types of guys that we'll do, do that for. But um, I don't know. I don't know. So, so we'll see. I, I'm, I feel like I'm almost <laughs> maybe not the same place as the Seahawks, but like, let it ride. Not a huge, huge topic in my head. Um, happy to have him. Um, certainly don't expect them to trade him now. Um, that would be the one thing I'd be like, what the hell, unless they're getting like some major haul where all of a sudden they're getting like two first round picks for him next year. Um, they better, he better be on the team and play the season. Um, it's kind of where my head's at. I think we got to make another quick point in the draft. I know a lot of people are bagging on the Seahawks for not taking an offensive lineman high. And I know it's annoying when general managers do this sometimes, but I don't think we can talk about this draft and not mention Dwayne Brown. Because imagine this roster right now without a left tackle. Man, the Seahawks have a lot of holes. Imagine you're coming out, you're still looking for that left tackle. And this is one of the worst left tackle drafts. That guy in the Niners went in the top 10. He's who knows about that guy. Nathan mentioned the Raiders pick top 15 outside of him. There's not much there. So the fact that they made that trade, I think it looks a lot better in hindsight. Well, except for bleeping Jeremy Lane. Like, huh. it looked I, – I was totally fine with it before they threw that crap back our way and we lost a, a third because yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. God, I mean, the guy can't even uh. – Notice how he gets fine <laughs> with anybody. I know. I mean, Are you not fine with anybody? No. He's trash. He's a free agent. Huh. Trash. Uh, you know, you can be mad at Jeremy Lane on that one. Uh, and, and maybe Schneider just planned on paying that third-round pick all along. It feels like maybe the Texans worked him a little bit on that, though. That's my thought. I would have talked about that, right? Like, I think that in the world of general managers, that was a burned-a-bridge moment. And it was probably like, yep, it's worth burning a bridge to get a third-round pick. Sorry, John. Like Possible. Very possible. Yeah. Um, well, listen, guys, I uh, I got to wrap it up. Um, it has been fun catching up about the draft. Thank you guys, as always, uh, for, for hopping on. And, um, man, this Friday, rookies are going to report. Um, rookie minicamp is going to be going on. We'll be able to hear. Everyone should expect to hear that. Somebody looked amazing, and they all look like they're going to be the next best players ever. Um, didn't drop a pass, intercepted every pass, um, completed every pass. All those things will somehow be possible. Um, so that'll be fun. We're starting to get into football rhythm. Man, we're only um, only a couple months away from training camp where this gets real again. And uh, we'll be able to have our eyes on these guys um, on the field. New coaching staff. Um, you know, a lot of new stuff going on. So it should be an interesting next couple of months. All right. Thank you. Uh, and as always, please, if you haven't already, click subscribe. Uh, you'll get notified when we have new um, stuff on the YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, sign up at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, get inside scoop, uh, info, access to the private Facebook page, um, and all the proceeds go to a great uh, cause in supporting Ben's fund. So as always, thank you guys. Take care and go Hawks.